Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Off the top of this hour, I think, you know, look, a controversial issue, but an important one. Let me take a step back. There's been a a big controversy raging in Scotland recently, and I don't know if you've been following this. Here's a story from the Financial Times. Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has been accused of botching policy on the placement of transgender prisoners with records of violence against women. Last week, it emerged that Isla Bryson, who was convicted of raping two women when still living as a man had been remanded in an all-female prison. While Bryson was later moved to a male-only facility, the Scottish government said it was against doing so. They've now reversed course on that. So it, it, it is a, a challenge, to say the least, when it comes to properly housing prisoners based on their gender, but also based on their crimes. So this was an individual who, as a male, had raped two women, was convicted of those crimes. Now this individual identifies as female and initially was placed in a women's-only prison. I think to a lot of people, the idea that someone convicted of raping two women would be placed in a prison with women just doesn't seem right. So it was an issue that got a lot of attention around the world because I think we're all kind of grappling with these issues. So new research out this week, so new polling done on behalf of the McDonnell Laurier Institute offers some uh, further glimpses into how Canadians view all of this. By a wide margin, four times as many Canadians believe it's important to continue maintaining single-sex housing of prisoners, segregating male-bodied inmates from female inmates, with only one in five Canadians deeming the policy to be unimportant. Joining us to talk more about these findings, how it does or, or should shape policy uh, on these matters. Very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Aaron Woodrick, the director of the McDonald Laurier Institute's Domestic Policy Program, or at mcdonaldlaurier.ca. Aaron, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. So a lot of Canadians believe this is important. Uh, clearly, you know, to, to explore this further implies a, a position here on the Institute's part that this is important. Why is this important? Yeah, look, and as you said off the top, it's a sensitive issue. It's a controversial issue. Um, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable talking about it because just by voicing an opinion, they can have other people sort of jumping down their throats. And, you know, we felt that the issue was so important because it does involve um, um, a tension between two sets of rights, right? You have transgendered folks who want to be, uh, we want inclusivity for them. We don't want them to feel like they're uh, marginalized in society. But the flip side that often isn't talked about is, uh, is women's interests, women's rights and women's safety. And we need to be very careful um, and try and find ways to reconcile those things. It's not you're not always going to have a perfect answer, but we certainly can't just um, throw the latter away um, because we're afraid of, of offending the former. Now, is this something that's provincially regulated? I mean, we, we do have overlapping jurisdiction here because we have federal prisons, provincial prisons. Yeah. So how is this currently dealt with in Canada? Do we know? 
Yeah, I mean, we focus, there is a federal policy, and this was changed, um, you know, about five years ago by the Trudeau government. Rather, not much fanfare to it. I don't think, frankly, Rob, a lot of Canadians are aware of it. I don't think a lot of Canadians would be surprised to know that the sort of default position, and it is a little more complex, but the default position is, um, right now, federally, um, you you can be housed based on your your gender self-identification rather than your biology. And this speaks to the point that you mentioned earlier, is that you can have situations arise, like we saw in Scotland, where um, individuals who identify as women but are still male-bodied um, could end up imprisoned with women. Um, and a lot of these women themselves have been victims of, of violent crime. And so it, it is, it's very concerning that the, that, that is the default policy. Right. And, and the nature of those charges is what made it such an explosive issue, because, you know, this is somebody who, who posed a, a unique and specific threat to women. But I think to a lot of people, even if this is someone who'd been convicted, you know, of, of fraud, it, it's still somebody who maybe shouldn't be, in their view anyway, in a, a women's prison. So how much of it is relevant to the, the threat posed by the offender and how much of it is, is relevant to, you know, the, the basic biological and gender issues here? Well, I mean, when you think about it, there's a reason that prisons have been uh, uh, sex-segregated for a long time. Right. I mean, we recognize that there is a physical difference and a physical danger posed to women uh, prisoners by male prisoners. That's the whole reason we separated men and women in the first place. You know, obviously, in recent years, we've had um, the issue of, of transgenderism come to the fore and, and people appreciate it more. Um, but the, the biological fact in a lot of cases for transgender prisoners who have not, um, you know, undergone any any uh, biological surgery, any surgery, um, they are still male bodied. And so the, the reason that men and women were separated in prisons remains relevant um, when we're talking about what the policy is and where we place people. Is it different? Should it be different if we're talking about, I guess for lack of a better term, female-bodied individuals who identify as male and what that might mean putting them in a male prison and male-bodied individuals who identify as female and putting them in female prisons? Or is the principle the same? Yeah, you know, I, I think from uh, from our standpoint, and certainly this is we did previous work on uh, transgender individuals in sport, for example, because there's a fairness issue there, of course, um, that you've seen. Um, there's swimmer in the United States, um, a lot of female athletes voicing issues. So it, it really comes down to the, the physical safety of women. And, you know, a lot of women have been very vocal about the fact that there is a there is an undeniable physical difference between men and women um, that that will you know, always pose uh, a physical danger to women and that we need to be mindful of that, uh, you know, whenever we have these policies. It's interesting to see some of the division, though, even as much as there's some consensus on the question of where male body transgender prisoners who identify as women should be housed. Only 28 percent say female facilities, but there's division between the rest. And so some would say, yes, male facilities. Others suggest maybe we need separate facilities so is is that an, an avenue maybe to to look at or to pursue well, it does seem like it's an emerging compromise, right? And this was, the, again, we saw this with sport, where people said, why not have an open category where men or women could choose to participate? And this would sort of eliminate the sort of built-in, um, you know, advantage, the biological advantage. So it, it may come to that in prisons. I recognize that the argument in the transgender community is that, well, this is, this is segregation, this is treating us differently. Um, but, but simply placing male body prisoners with women does not address the safety issue that I think a lot of women rightly raised and there is the question and it's it's a tricky one in terms of when someone no longer is 
male-bodied? Can we have some some clear criteria? Is it, is it somewhat arbitrary? Yeah, there's a, there's not a lot of consensus on that, right? Like there are some people that take the view that if you identify um, as a certain gender, therefore you are that gender. Um, and then there are others that take the biological essentialist view. And I think, you know, certainly from MLI's standpoint, it, when it comes to women's safety, it's the biology that's relevant. I understand that there are people who they may have a male body but identify as women, but as long as they have a male body, um, the physical concern that women will raise about their safety is, is, is going to remain relevant. What's the takeaway for policymakers here then? I think the first one is to tread carefully. I mean, they've made, they made this change, I think, essentially to satisfy, you know, a vocal group of activists without recognizing perhaps some of the practical impact. And I think a lot of Canadians, as I said, they're simply not aware of it. And I think as more of them become aware of it, and, and they will become aware of it, of things as such as things like you mentioned in Scotland, um, you know, MLI has some forthcoming work where we've, we've studied this in Canadian prisons, so watch for that. But it is, uh, you know, it is a live issue, and I think governments need to be very, very careful here that they are not they are not sacrificing women's safety, um, you know, simply on the basis of, of looking out for inclusivity for another group. Really interesting. More at uh, mcdonaldlaurier.ca. Aaron, thanks for joining us here today. Appreciate it. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.